Amen. Thank you, Nicole and Rebecca, for leading us in worship tonight. Good to see all of you. James chapter 2 tonight. Remember, as we go through the book of James, James grew up with Jesus, and so I believe that what he is inspired by the Spirit to talk about to us in this letter were things that he saw so clearly in his brother growing up. And tonight, we're going to talk about relating to others and relationships and how to treat other people. And I'm sure how he saw his brother Jesus treating people throughout his life made a very strong impression upon James. And the way Jesus related to others obviously should make a strong impression upon us as well. Everything tonight we're going to talk about is connected to one phrase in verse 8. It is the phrase, or title even, the royal law. We maybe as New Testament Christians don't think a lot about law. We think that's more of an Old Testament concept, and yet Jesus said he is building a kingdom. And even though his kingdom as of yet is not on this earth, his kingdom is not of this world, he's still building a kingdom. And he still taught his followers, including how he teaches you and I, that there is a code of conduct for members of his kingdom. In fact, one of the places that you will find uh, a lot of what he talks about as far as a code of conduct, co conduct for members of his kingdom is in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. But obviously, everywhere that Jesus taught can relate to how he wants members of his kingdom to act. And so, when we talk about the royal law, why does James call it the royal law? For one, it comes to us from our king. Jesus is our king. And we must remember that. In fact, down through this passage, notice in verse 1, he refers to Jesus as our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the things we're going to see there is a proper view of Christ leads to a proper view of others and ourselves. He talks about, in verse 7, the good name of the one we belong to. And the word good there means praiseworthy one who is deserving and worthy of our praise, his name, the name that is above all names. There's only one name given among men whereby we must be saved, the name of Jesus. And so it is called the royal law because it comes from our king. Secondly, it is called the royal law because it basically is an umbrella for all the other laws. It, it, it literally is sort of at the top, and every other law, if you will, every other principle to live by, every other code of conduct comes under the royal law. And what is that? Well, to love our neighbor, verse 8, as ourselves. And then one other one, and I'll come back to this later on in the message tonight, 
It's called the royal law because it comes from our king. It's called the royal law because it is king, if you will, over all the other principles. But third, it is called the royal law because if you and I follow it, it makes you and I kings and queens as well. We're going to see how that happens. Everything in this passage from verse 1 through verse 13 tonight goes back to the royal law in some way. So I want you to first of all now look at the first four verses where James is sort of giving us a representation concerning the royal law. In in even the early church, as people were coming in, James saw that there was a difference in the way many members of the the community of believers treated the poor Christians and the rich Christians. And so notice James gives us this representation or illustration. He says, my brothers and sisters, and that's important even how James starts out. Why? Because this word means that you and I as Christians have all been born from the same womb, if you will. When we were born again, we were all born again the same way. And therefore, we are born into the family of God, and we can rightfully call our each other brothers and sisters because we are all God's children now through belief and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and through the blood that he shed and sacrificed on the cross. You are my brothers and sisters. We are all born from the same womb, and that's important because he then goes on to say, if we are born from the same womb, then we should not show prejudice. In fact, in the original language, he simply says, stop showing prejudice or partiality or favoritism. Stop it, because it's already going on. It's it's treating other people a certain way based on externals. Again, whether they're rich or poor, obviously in our day and age, we spend a lot of time talking about prejudice when it comes to the color of someone's skin and all of that. And let me say this. One of the reasons why we should treat all people with equal value, with equal respect, with equal honor, is because every last human being was created in the image of God, you see. Every last human being was created in the image of God, and there's really not that much difference between us and anyone else in the world, you see. In fact, one of the things I've gotten into in the last couple months is genetics. I I really like to study that. And one of the fascinating things I found is no matter where you and I come from, whether we're from European descent, African descent, Asian descent, or wherever, in a sense, our family tree goes back to, that every last one of us is less than 0.2% difference. Not 2%. (laughs) 0.2%. That's why even when you study, say, transplants, that there are times, even in an immediate family where there's not a match, 
but someone from another country, another culture can be a match because there's really not that much difference. We've created the differences. In fact, I'll go on so far as to say that the teaching of evolution and Darwinism has done more to create division as far as race and culture and all that than any single thing. Now, I'm not saying Darwin was the one that came up with it. It existed before him, but he sort of, with his theory of evolution, pushed it forward because you never hear the Bible talk about race. That's an evolutionary concept. In fact, the Bible teaches that from one came everyone. Acts chapter 17, verse 26. From one came everyone. So if you and I believe the Bible, then there's really not that much difference between any of us, which is why the Bible teaches why do we treat other people differently based on anything externally? It doesn't line up with the royal law, the one that came from the king himself, and it doesn't even jive with science, you see. It just doesn't make sense. So he says in verse 1, my brothers and sisters, do not show prejudice if you possess faith, notice, in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, the only time that sort of description of Jesus is used. Glorious Lord Jesus Christ. And remember, this is his brother who's writing this. This is one who knew Jesus, who lived every day with Jesus, and there was never anything that he saw in Jesus, heard in Jesus, whatever, that he now cannot conclude. He is the Lord of glory. What a testimony. What a witness to who Jesus really is. But what James is also saying is this. If we hold Jesus up, if we put him in his rightful place as the glorious Lord Jesus, as the King of kings and Lord of lords, then what he says to us, shouldn't it carry the most weight? Shouldn't it be what we pay the most attention to, the royal law? Shouldn't we give more respect and reverence to what our glorious Lord Jesus Christ expects from us as far as the code of conduct for those of us who are members of his kingdom? And so James is saying, stop being prejudiced. Stop being partial and showing favoritism based upon anything external, whether it's male, female, rich, poor, you know, color of skin. It doesn't matter, James says. Those are minor things. And in the scheme of things, they mean nothing to God. We're the ones that have magnified the minor things and we've made them major things instead of focusing on what we really should focus on. For then he uses this representation or illustration. James says, in case you miss it, let me give you an example. He says, if someone comes into your assembly, your meeting place, your gathering place, where you as Christians are coming together to worship the Lord, and he wears a gold ring and fine clothing, and a poor person enters in filthy clothes, do you pay, and in the original, do you pay more attention 
to the one who's finally dressed? Do you have special regard for the one who's finally dressed and you say, oh man, you're falling all over yourself and you're giving them the best seat in the house and making sure that, you know, you're just uh, doting on them and that they've got everything they want. And then you say to the poor person, oh, you stand over there, sit on the floor. He says in verse four, if so, if you're treating people differently just based on external things, have you not made distinctions amongst yourself? Have you not, in a sense, determined in your own mind and come to some faulty conclusion that we should treat people differently based on anything external? And then he says, you have become judges, self-appointed judges. God never gave us that responsibility. We have become self-appointed judges, notice, with evil motives a thought process that leads to injuring and insulting people by the way we treat them. Treating them differently just because they might be different than us or not maybe what we want, you see. And it all goes back to what, again, the royal law. Something that James, I'm sure, saw Jesus living out every day of his life. And when you even study the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you see the way Jesus related to people, even in his day and culture some 2,000 years ago, he always elevated women because women were not valued in that culture 2,000 years ago. And yet Jesus always took time to talk to women, even women that maybe didn't have great reputations. And he even had women as part of his original band of followers. Then you think about the way Jesus treated children, who again were not valued or considered that important in that culture, in that society. And yet Jesus said, do not keep those children from me. Bring them here. I want to bless them. And so over and over again, and and, and the different cultures and the different people from different countries that Jesus ran into, he never treated anyone less valuable based on anything external. And James, this made such an impression upon James, because now he's seeing just the opposite happening in churches where we, the people of God, are supposed to be following the code of conduct from our king the glorious Lord Jesus Christ, and treating people as it befits him, as it suits him, as it, as it shows and relates to him and reflects him. That's why it's called the royal law. Are we treating other people the way Jesus would treat them? Are we treating each other in a way that represents our glorious Lord Jesus Christ? Then in verse 5 through verse 8, James wants to connect the royal law with a reality. He says, here's a reality connected to the royal law. And he starts with the word listen, 
which he's already talked about in verse 19. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, let every person be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Listen, give me your full attention hearing God's voice through what I am about to say to you. And again, brothers and sisters, born in the same womb. Did not God choose the poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? Let's stop there. First of all, notice something. The word choose is a very important word. It means a highly deliberate choice. God chose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom. So that tells us a couple things. First of all, God understands in this economy, there's always going to be poor and rich. There just is. There just is. In fact, Jesus even said one time to his followers, the poor you always have. The differences economically with people are always going to be there on this earth. It's always part of life. But James is saying, but God chose that those who were poor that would turn to him could be rich in faith literally wealthy, overflowing with God's abundance and resources in their life. So what's James saying? Well, the reality connected to the royal law is this. It's not so much then about worldly things. It's about what really matters, which are spiritual things and eternal things. And when we understand that, then that's a reality that comes directly from God that then connects to the royal law of why we should treat others a certain way and why we should be treated a certain way. Because it's not about the material and the physical. God never places an emphasis on that. It's always about the eternal and the spiritual that trumps the temporal and the physical. It's also very interesting that notice he says, the poor in the world. And why I say that is because the Greek word for world is cosmos. The English word cosmetic is derived from that word. And what is cosmetic? It is something very superficial, surfacy on the surface. There's no depth to it. It's something that sort of covers up reality, if you will. And James is, t- is reminding us that's the reality of the world. The world's values are all basically going after things that are cosmetic, things that are on the surface, things that in eternity won't really matter. That's not the reality that you and I are to be living for. We are to be living on a much deeper, profound, significant level, living for eternal things, so that even those who are poor maybe in the world understand it's only a very temporary condition because we're only passing through and on our way to glory, and they're rich in faith. And notice they are heirs of the kingdom. They have a share in the kingdom. And again, there's that idea that that's why it's the royal law, because we're all part of a kingdom. We all have our share in the kingdom. And even though Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world, you and I are living in this world, and therefore what Jesus is expecting from his followers is otherworldly behavior in the world. Did you get that? We are to be living 
otherworldly based upon his code of conduct that obviously is really different than the way the world approaches things in the world. And I love this. He said, did not God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he promised to those who loved them, loved him? The reality connected to the royal law is that we are to be living from God's promises. That's the reality. What God promises us, what he has said in his word, the royal law, that's what's real. Not the world, it's cosmetic. John said the world and everything in the world is passing away. It's just all superficial stuff that is not really going to matter. Don't get caught up in the things of the world and the way the world does things and the way the world treats each other because they don't have the right perspective, because they don't have the royal law guiding their behavior. But you and I, as brothers and sisters, we do. We do. And then he says, you have dishonored the poor believer. You've insulted them. You've treated them as less valuable simply because they don't have as much worldly stuff as maybe you do. And are not the rich, and I think here he's talking about unsaved rich people, do not the rich oppress you, using their wealth to dominate and overpower you and dragging you into their courts before judges and having their way because they can, because they've got more pull even in the courts and with judges, gee, not much has changed in a couple thousand years, has it? He says, do they not blaspheme, refuse to acknowledge, again, the good name, the praiseworthy name of the one you belong to? Oh, that's a great phrase. We've been bought with the price. We are not our own. We belong to the king. And we are part of his kingdom. And therefore, we are to be following the royal law, his code of conduct for members of his kingdom on this earth, living in an otherworldly way, especially as it relates to how we relate and how we treat others, how we accept others, how we love others. For he says, if you fulfill the royal law, if you carry this out consistently as expressed in the Scripture, the Bible, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, he says, you are doing well. Are we seeking the welfare and well-being of our neighbor as much as we do ourselves? That's really the royal law, loving your neighbor as yourself. Every day we make sure that we seek our own well-being and welfare. We make sure we've got enough food to eat, enough clothes and all that, that we, you know, we take care of ourselves. He's simply saying, do we have that kind of sensitivity to others? Are we seeking their well-being and their welfare as much as we do our own? And again, why is, to me, this something that just really is caught James, because I think he saw Jesus, his brother, live this out every day, every day. He saw his brother treating others as valuable as himself. 
In fact, Jesus even went so far as it was beyond that. He said, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. For Jesus, it was never about him. It's always been about others. And if we're going to follow our king and follow the royal law, that's the way you and I need to live. Then finally, the last section in verses 9 through 13 is a realization characterizing the royal law. If in the first four verses you have a representation concerning the royal law, and then in verses 5 through 8, a reality connected to the royal law, in verses 9 through 13, you have a realization characterizing the royal law. And what is that realization? Well, first of all, he says, if you show prejudice, if you treat someone differently based on externals, you are committing sin and are convicted or exposed by the law as violators, as those who disregard the wishes and will of God. That's what the word violator means. Those who disregard. Now, think about that. It's the royal law. It came from the king. He is the glorious Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, we're just blowing it off. And that's why James is saying, this is the realization when, when, when you and I don't follow the royal law. We're basically saying, ah, oh, God, I don't need to pay attention to what you've got to say. James is saying, whoa, do we forget who this law came from? came from the Lord, the glorious Lord Jesus Christ. And do we not understand that when we carry it out, we are living in a way that befits him and reflects him and reflects upon him? He says, for the one who obeys the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you become a violator of the law. A couple things here. What's James really saying here? He's teaching us about the indivisibility of the law of God. And what he's saying is simply this. It's not like certain sins or certain violations of the royal law do not carry greater ramifications or consequences than others do. That's obvious. That's not what James is getting at here. He's trying to get us to see that it all comes back to our heart attitude towards the royal law and towards the principles that God has laid out. And he's simply saying that you and I cannot look at God's word and select the things that we like and sort of let go the things that we don't like. Our obedience cannot be based on a selective basis. Well, I, I like that part, God. I'll do that. This part over here, I don't like that, God. I'm not going to do it. And here's why it's dangerous for us as Christians to treat the law that way when it is indivisible. James is basically saying it all is tied together because if you and I have the attitude that we're just going to ignore that part of what God says and blow that part off and sort of not pay attention to that, that begins to create a hard attitude that sort of spreads. 
And then pretty soon it's like, well, I don't like that either. And instead of having a high respect and regard and reverence for God himself, the glorious Lord Jesus, and for what he says to us, we begin to create an attitude that it's okay to just sort of pick and choose out of God's law what I like and what I don't like. And the things that I don't like, I can just sort of let go. James says, oh, that you don't want to get there. Because it's all tied together. Because why? Because it's about everything that God says to us is important and significant for some reason. And, and we need to make sure that we are paying attention to it and following it. Otherwise, our attitude towards following and being obedient to the Lord will begin to decay and deteriorate as we sort of select and pick out the things we like and then disregard the things that we don't. That's why he's saying what he does here. And again, that's tied back to the royal law. But who gave it? Jesus. Well, then if Jesus said it, it's pretty important. I better pay attention. And then he says a few more things. He says in verse 12, speak and act as those who will be judged by a law. The realization connected with the royal law is you and I are going to one day stand before our Lord and give an account. We're not judged for our sin. Our sin has already been judged on the cross. But the Bible teaches that each and every one of us as members of his kingdom will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and we will give an account for the things that we've done or not done. And one of the things we'll give an account for is what kind of respect and reverence and regard did we have for his word in our life, the royal law you see, and everything that came from him. So that's one realization as well. But then I love this, and I wanted to get back to this tonight. He says, speak and act as those who will be judged by a law that gives freedom. A law that gives freedom? Because every time you and I in the world think about law, we think about restriction. And he's saying, no, no, no because you got to get to the heart of God and the heart of why God does say the things that he says. And this is why I said earlier, it is the royal law because it came from the king. It is the royal law because if we follow it, it befits our king. But also, it is the royal law because it makes us kings and queens. Why? because it gives us freedom when we follow it. Let me ask you a question. When you and I choose through the power of the Holy Spirit to love, we're free. It is only when our heart begins to get filled with hatred, jealousy, envy, bitterness, rivalry, all that, we're enslaved to all those things, right? We become a slave to all that is not of God. 
It is only when you and I follow the Word of God, in a sense, the royal law of God, that we are truly free because in all that God asks us to do, we choose to do it because we want to and because we are empowered to do it by the Holy Spirit of God. That's freedom. How freeing is it to go, now, obviously, you wouldn't say this to somebody, but how freeing is it to say even within yourself, I don't have to love you, but through Jesus Christ, I'm choosing to love you. There's a freedom there. There's a power there. But if I start to allow my heart to be filled with unforgiveness and hatred and bitterness and prejudice and all those things, guess what? My heart becomes enslaved to all those attitudes. And I become a slave rather than a free person through Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ did not come to set us free from sin to then be enslaved to it again. He came to set us free. In fact, he even says, if the Son sets you free, you'll be what? Free indeed. Free indeed. And it is only love that truly sets us free. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians, now abideth faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is what? Love. 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 That's the royal law. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And when we do it because we choose to do it, we're free. But when we live in such a way where we treat others differently or we give an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, we become enslaved to that type of response and reaction. And we're not free anymore. In fact, not to get off on this, but that's one of the reasons one of the main reasons why God encourages his people to live forgiving others. Because not forgiving someone else of what they've done to us doesn't enslave them, it enslaves us. Forgiveness is as much for us, the person who's being forgiving, as it is for the person we're forgiving. Because a lack of forgiveness enslaves us. And that's why James says, and that's why I love the way he puts it, speak and act as those who will be judged by a law that gives freedom. For then he says this, for judgment is merciless for the one who has shown no mercy, but mercy triumphs. Mercy wins over judgment. You can live a life of judgment. You can come down on people all the time and be hypercritical and all that kind of stuff, but guess what? That kind of response is going to come right back on you one day, and that's the way God will deal with you. But if we choose mercy, that's the way most of the time we'll be dealt with, and that's certainly the way God will deal with us. James, I think, also is saying those of us who have received God's mercy are obligated to express mercy to others. Because in the end, mercy is going to win. 
We know that, and we're thankful for it. We're going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ one day in a place called heaven, in a perfect environment called glory, forever and ever, being heirs of his kingdom, ruling and reigning with Christ, not because of God's judgment, but because of what? God's mercy. Mercy wins in the end. Love wins in the end. All these things that James is encouraging us to that surround and are connected to the royal law of God, they're what really matter. That's what's going to last. And James, I think, is reminding us, I saw my brother, our Lord Jesus, every day treating other people in a way I've never seen anyone treat other people before. I think it made such a profound impression and imprint on James. Every last person Jesus ever dealt with, he dealt with in such a, a way that showed honor and respect and value to that, even to his enemies, because he loved them enough to confront them with their sin and tell them, you need to repent. We live in a tough environment, folks. We do not live in a world that is encouraging us to live by a royal law. It's dog-eat-dog -dog out there. But God is saying, oh, no, no, no. I'm still the king. I'm still building a kingdom. You all are still members of the kingdom. You are empowered by the Holy Spirit to live a certain way, and I expect my members of my kingdom to live under this code of conduct, not like the world lives, but like Jesus lived. Something for all of us to be reminded of. Even if we are poor in this world, all of us are Filthy rich in faith. We have all the abundant resources and provision of God laid at our doorstep every day. And all of us, rich or poor, young or old, male, female, black or white, it doesn't matter. We are all, as those who have faith in Jesus Christ, we are all heirs of the kingdom. So James is saying, let's live like it. Let's live as members of God's kingdom. Let's pray. God, thank you for not only saving us, God, but for teaching us by example, the Lord Jesus, and by teaching us in your word and through the power and presence of your Holy Spirit in our life, how we should live as members of your kingdom. God, every day, we as brothers and sisters in Christ have the privilege and the honor to live in a way that suits our king that befits our king, that reflects our king, 
to be able to hold our head up high every day. We're not part of the scrum that's going on here right now. We're passing through. And yet, Lord, you leave us here so that in the midst of this scrum in the world, we can leave our light and we can leave our love and we can make an impact for you, Lord, in this world. And the only way we can do that, God, is not by treating the world as they may treat us. It's by treating the world the way you treated them. By laying down your life. By living a life of love. By seeking the well-being and welfare of others as much as we do ourselves. God, thank you for giving us such a privilege to be children of the King. And to know, God, that if we follow this law, these laws... We are truly free because we live in a way that we are choosing our destiny. We choose our response. We choose the way we will live based on the power of the Holy Spirit. We're not enslaved to the way everybody else is doing it. We're not enslaved to our fallen nature. We're not enslaved to the promptings of the devil. But we are free in Jesus Christ. God, may you take us as your freeborn children and use us in this world to make a difference for Jesus each and every day. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being here tonight. God bless.